Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest, and she's someone who I have the pleasure of knowing through my community. But first, I want to ask you a favor. If you love my podcast as much as I do making them, please subscribe and leave me a comment. I really value your encouragement as it's what keeps me going and keeps me continuing doing what I love to do. Today, we're going to talk about disability and perhaps not in the way you might expect. 3rd of December every year is the International Day of People with Disability, a United Nations sanctions day that aims to promote public awareness, understanding and acceptance of people with disability. This is a topic that's really close to my heart as my eldest son has a disability. My guest today is fashion stylist Gina Kingston. Gina is a scientist, outdoor enthusiast and a personal stylist who specialises in people with health issues including disabilities. Welcome, Gina. Hey, thanks, Serena. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for being my guest on this podcast. Let's start by asking, what's your experience of working with people who have disability? Uh, I guess my first thing was really working with my mum. So my mum had a thing called multiple system atrophy. And what that means is different parts of her body shut down. So the first thing really was that she would stutter when she walked. So she'd walk on the spot and she couldn't concentrate on more than one thing at once. And she had to give up wearing heels. It changed the way she dressed. Then she ended up in a wheelchair. So made a whole lot of things that she used to do just really difficult, really hard. Everything from getting dressed to going to the bathroom to um, eating food. Wow, and that must have been hard for you, seeing the changes in your mum as these various things started to have an effect. Look, I think it's really hard on everybody. So the first time I took her to the bathroom, for example, it's a very personal thing. And she said, I'm your mum. I'm meant to be looking after you, not you looking after me. And I said, you did such a good job of looking after me. That's why I'm here and can do this for you sounds like your mum was a very caring person and it must have been hard for her too not to be able to do the things that she was used to doing, such as caring for her kids. Yeah, look, she was a really independent person. She found it quite difficult at first that she had to rely on other people to do things because she had a loss of balance and stuff as well. So even just to, to walk while she was still walking was hard. And at the end, when she had to have people dress her, that she couldn't get to choose her clothes... Yeah, she found all of that really hard. But it's one of those things that you can't stop doing things because you've got a disability. And one of the things that I'm really proud of with my parents is that they still went out, they still did things, they still enjoyed life, they went on overseas holidays still, they participated in the community. Mum did this great exercise class that was designed for people that, so it was a seated exercise class, so it was designed for people that had less mobility. So what are some of the practical issues that people with disability face? You talked about some of the day-to-day things and the fact that she was able to still go on holidays and do a number of things. But what are some of the, the issues that people do face? I think there's a whole range of things. One of the things is being able to go out. So where do you go? The number of places that aren't accessible. 
going out for restaurants, having to choose the restaurant that doesn't have stairs Mm. to get up to where to eat. And this was a huge one, I must say, when I was in Taiwan, because being in a really densely urban populated city that wasn't always as planned as, say, we are here in Canberra. Most of the restaurants had steps and very rickety steps at that. And there was, when I lived there, there was a huge protest against a particular McDonald's, I think, because like kids just couldn't get in there who had disabilities. Yeah. And if you look at houses as well, so we went looking at houses, the number of stairs that my dad and I lifted my mum up so that she could have a look around the houses. And you think about it, you know, if you don't have a disability and you can walk upstairs, you don't think about it. But what you're doing when you're living in a house that has stairs is you're making it inaccessible to your friends that might have a disability as well. 18% of people have a disability. 95% live in normal commercial, like normal dwellings, the same as everybody else. But most houses aren't designed for it. There's a huge opportunity for people, if you're looking for investments, to think about properties that are actually disability friendly. That's a good tip too. And as people are aging too, you know, to have things that are going to be suitable for people as they age. Maybe it was foresight. I don't know, but the apartment we live in is all one story and block itself has stairs, but it also has a lift. A lot of people don't think about that. They buy something for retirement that's multi-level and has, you know, funny rickety round staircases and all sorts of things. Yep. My parents had to take out their lovely round staircase and put a lift in and And I know other people that have the same situation. They've got a house, it's a lovely house, and then all of a sudden they find that their health deteriorates and they can no longer get up the stairs. And it separates families from each other. And of course, if there's a disability as well, that complicates things as well. Yeah. I think there's also a misconception that people with a disability can't do other things. So just because they've got a disability in one area and they can't walk or they can't move their arms as freely or they can't speak as clearly, that they can't do other things. So one example of that is my mum, one of the things with multiple systems atrophy is you breathe out and then try and talk. And so your voice goes really quiet. Yep, so it's really hard to hear people. So people would assume that she couldn't understand what was being said because she couldn't speak much. And so people would come up to me and say, how's your mum today? And I'm going, she's right there. Why don't you ask her how she's feeling? Other things, you know, wheelchairs on planes. The number of people I know that have had their wheelchair put in the hold on a plane and it's damaged at the end and then they've got no mobility, no way of doing anything, no way of getting around afterwards. So there's a whole bunch of things that people don't think about if they don't have to that are issues for people. That would be really hard to reach the end of your destination to be perhaps in a a city that you're unfamiliar with and maybe even where they don't speak your language and suddenly you have no mobility. Yeah, certainly happened to my mum. Once they were overseas, they were really lucky. They were doing a cruise. They like cruises because you're on the ship. You don't have to carry your luggage around. And the people on the ship actually fixed the wheelchair because the airline didn't. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So I want to ask another related question to disability, and you've kind of hinted on this a little bit, and that is invisible disabilities and what they are. Now, I want to share here that my eldest son has cerebral palsy. In fact, he does have an NDIS, National Disability Insurance Scheme, plan. He was born with cerebral palsy. We didn't pick it up until he was about three. So he struggles with a number of things, including fine motor skills. So that affects his handwriting at school. And for a while, it actually affected his grades at school because he just decided he didn't like to write and he didn't like English. 
It also affects his hand-eye coordination. And he's 12 at the moment and all of his friends like sports and he's crap at sports, basically. (laughs) He's a real weakling. He doesn't have that kind of strength either. And also too, he has trouble chewing his food. So at home, it's fine because I cook soft foods. So he likes a lot of rice and a lot of soup type things, risottos, soft brioche breads. But if he goes to someone else's house and they give him steak for dinner, he really struggles because firstly, he can't cut it properly. And secondly, he can't actually chew it properly. But the amount of people who say to me, oh, but he looks normal. Yeah, look, I think this is a really common occurrence. And there's a whole range of ailments that are invisible disabilities. There's everything from incontinence, which is a really common one, particularly as people get older. They need to be able to get to the bathroom quickly when they need to go. There's hearing loss, not being able to hear. So I've got tinnitus, which is ringing in the ear. It is, and it comes and goes. But if I'm in a loud environment, I can't hear what people are saying around me uh, because I've just got these echoes going on in my head. And the problem with invisible disabilities, as you said, is that you don't, people don't know, they're not aware. It doesn't get talked about much. A lot of people with invisible disabilities will have good days and bad days. So people see them on their good days and they think that there's nothing wrong because they can do, they can get out, they can do things. They think that they're faking their illness. Another example of that is you've got ambulatory wheelchair users. So people who need to use a wheelchair sometimes because they just don't have the energy every day or for a whole day to to walk around. And people think that when they're not participating, that they're skiving off. This kind of miraculous kind of, oh my gosh, she's walking. She's out of the wheelchair. It means that they're out of the wheelchair for good. Yes. It's, it's like as if you're suddenly cured. And when people have a day off, when they say, oh, aren't you lucky to have the day off work? Aren't you lucky to be able to sleep so much? And I've heard so many stories of people not listening to them and not listening and understanding what their illnesses are. And it's everything from friends to health professionals. So really can be challenging for people. Yeah, it can be challenging. I certainly hear you there. We don't have those same issues with my son in terms of good days and bad days so much, although some days his leg hurts and it's just, it's hard for him to walk long distances. It's more his inability to talk when he has a problem, which I guess is a big one too. Like he he just wants to be normal. Now, I don't even know what normal is, but he wants to fit in with his friends. He doesn't want to be the kid with the disability who can't do stuff. Yeah, and I think there's there's a whole range of things that people just don't think about and don't talk about these days. I had a thing that I can't actually pronounce, which is where the lining of the womb gets inside the womb. And I was getting cramps three weeks, like debilitating cramps, can't move, shut your eyes in pain, three weeks out of four until I had a hysterectomy. There are people that have got sensory issues. They can be overwhelmed by noise, all of those sorts of things. Mm, it can be really hard. Now, I want to get bring it back to fashion because I know you're obviously a fashion stylist. So why are you so passionate about fashion and disability? These are two words that don't usually go together. Oh, look, I think that there's a misunderstanding that people with a disability aren't interested in style. My mum had one day, she had passed out, she got taken to hospital, dressing her the next day and she goes, what am I going to wear? I want to look good. We're doing this. 
And not everybody with a disability is old, as you said, your son. So there are people that actually do care about style. But for me, style is more than about looking good. It's about being able to get dressed quickly and easily so that you can get on and do other things in life as well. We have to get dressed. We don't have a society where we're all nudists. (laughs) I'm kind of a bit glad about that sometimes. (laughs) And first impressions count. The number of people that have said to me things like, I've gotten to the interview and all people have seen is the disability. So people want to look good. They want to feel good. They want to go out and not get exhausted getting dressed. Dealing with my mum sounds like it was a hardship and it was hard. She had limited mobility. She couldn't lift her arms very high. She couldn't move her legs very much. So I was physically moving her around in order to dress her. And it was tiring for her and it was tiring for me. But she still wanted to look good. So if you put her in something that she didn't want to wear for the day, she would go and say, no, I don't like this. I'd forgotten we were going out to lunch. I want to get changed. And you'd have to go through the whole thing again. It made me realize that people with disabilities still want to look good. They still want to participate in society and they want to do it in a way that by the time they've gotten dressed, they're not too tired to go out and do things. So you're saying that people with disabilities are actually people and they actually have feelings? Shock horror, yes. Yeah, they're just like you and me. They just happen to have a disability. You alluded to a little bit about this before, about the difficulties in dressing someone who has disabilities, particularly if they've got movement issues or other other things. What are some of the ways that you work with your clients to get around this and so that they can look good and feel good? There's a whole range of things. So the first thing is to really understand what their issues are and what they want out of their style. So just as you and I don't dress the same, don't like the same clothes, people with a disability aren't all the same. It's not like you can go and say, hey, there's great adaptive clothes here and they'll be great for you, but they only come in black. You've got to wear jeans and you've got to wear something else because that's all the clothes that are available. So the first thing I try and do is understand them, what their limitations are or what they want to work around. And then what their personality is and so what they're looking for out of their clothes. And it might be that they we're looking for some clothes that have got some adaptive features in them. So things like the top I'm wearing has got button closures so that you can put it on and then do up the shoulder seams with the buttons afterwards or the I, press studs. I heard recently someone really raving about that. Just to be able to have, say, a jab for COVID to be able to unbutton your shirt. Exactly. And some people have lots of treatment, you know, they having regular shoulder treatment, massages, all of that sort of stuff. So it's really understanding their lifestyle. And then do they need adaptive clothing to begin with? What types of adaptations? And then finding things that work for them. But it's not just the clothes. It's also about how can you organize their wardrobe so they can get to the clothes that they want to wear the most really easily. It's about having simple combinations of clothes that can work together. It's about wearing the right colors so that they look good without wearing makeup. Finding clothes with built-in details that are interesting so that you don't have to put on 20 layers of clothing and jewelry and accessories in order to look and feel good. Thank you for sharing that. And I can tell your real passion for fashion. But before we talk more about fashion, I want to actually ask more about people with disability and the economic impact of that. I think there's a 
huge economic impact. I think if you look at the number of people with a disability that are employed compared to the people without a disability that are employed, there's a huge difference. There's a whole bunch of costs associated with having a disability. Some of them are kind of obvious, the need for medication, the need for treatment, the need for special services, support. But there's a whole bunch of secondary costs as well. It costs more to have a house that has wider doorways, that has wider hallways, that has more space for you to maneuver a wheelchair around. It costs more to buy adaptive clothing because the demand isn't there. And it really is a supply and demand thing. I always felt that I shouldn't wear clothing that's designed for people with a disability because I'm taking it from people with a disability. But actually, it's the same as everything else. The more people buy it, the more demand there is and the prices come down for everybody. And what about schemes like NDIS? Are there ways that people can maximise that to reduce the economic disadvantage? I think NDIS is really good. I think there's pros and cons with it, though. The first thing is that it only runs from ages 6 to 65. Not everyone is eligible. And there's this assumption from some people that if you're on NDIS, all of your costs are covered. But you have to justify the costs. So I know people that need a lift in their house. It's been recommended by specialists, but they can't get a lift in their house through NDIS. On the other hand, there's a whole range of things that can be covered with NDIS that people aren't aware of. So people, most people are aware that you can get help dressing, you can get help with cooking and cleaning. You can also get help with paying for clothing, specialist clothing. You can get help for my services as a stylist that's helping you manage and make it so that you can get dressed and get out in the community more easily. You can get support for outings. Also, other schemes that are out there that people aren't aware of that can provide support for carers for people with a disability so they can get out without eating into the packages that their person that they're caring for has. And I think it's really important too for people to be aware. Like a lot of people don't always want to ask for support. That's true. Certainly that was the case with my dad as well. And looking back on it, he says, I should have asked for support earlier. My mum didn't get support through NDIS because she's too old. So one of the things is NDIS runs from 7 to 65. After you're 65, you have to go on the age care support mechanism. So you've got to go through and it's a very different set of paperwork. So there's a transition for people that have got a disability. When dad went and got support, he thought he was doing okay. People told him he could get support. He got on a level four package right from the word go, which is the top level of support. It was only after he got the support that he realized how hard life has been beforehand. What happens is, particularly if you've got a condition which deteriorates over time, is you get used to things. You adapt. You make do because you have to make do. So realizing that things could be easier, that there are support mechanisms out there, and letting other people into your life and to contribute because people want to help each other. They want to be there for their friends and things as well. Yeah, so really important to, to ask for and accept support as well. And no doubt really helps the economy when you've got people out and about and contributing rather than just hiding away at home because of their disability. I think it contributes to the economy. It contributes to the mental health of everybody as well. 
And I think in terms of like they're contributing to the economy, it's not just the person with a disability that's getting out, it's the whole of society that's benefiting from them getting out. So they'll be meeting up with friends, they're doing activities, definitely good not just for the individual and what they're spending, but for what everybody else is spending as well. Now, during Fashion Week earlier this year, you wrote a piece about fashion and disability. Is the industry becoming more inclusive? I think there's been a huge wake up after the Australian Fashion Week with the focus on disabilities and some of the things that went really well and some of the things that went wrong in that event. I've certainly seen a lot more mainstream companies offering adaptive fashion, so clothing that's designed for people with a disability. But there's also still a long way to go. A lot of the adaptive fashion is about people with mobility issues. And as we've already discussed, there's a whole range of other types of disabilities from sensory issues to people who've got an intellectual disability to people who can't see. And the fashion industry isn't catering for all of these different types of disabilities yet. So really simple things like having braille on clothes so people can tell what colour the top is that they've picked up is something which will make people that are blind or vision impaired, able to dress and put their clothing together themselves a lot more easily. It's also a lot to be done in terms of stores and the layout of places. So changing rooms are still small in a number of places. The aisles between places are really, some stores are still really small. And what happens is, hey, there's a great bargain. Here's the sales rack. Here's their sales box. Quite often those extra things get put out in the corridors and they take up space so people can't see them. The layout of stores is often stuff that's up high that people can't see. And sure, people like me can't reach. And if you're in a wheelchair, you can't reach them either. Densely packed clothes. If people have got limited fine motor skills, separating out the clothes and being able to pull them apart to see them becomes harder. Of course, there's economic costs with having less clothes available for people to see, with putting more space and having less items out. But at the same time, you're excluding 18% of the population with a disability if you don't make some of those changes. To be honest, I hadn't really thought about some of those issues. It seems there are quite a few impediments there for people who want to look good even if they have a disability. And I probably even should say even if, people with a disability who want to look good. Yeah. So even with all the changes that are are happening at the moment, there are still things that that we can do. People still want to look good. So what about sustainability? As you know, this is something that's really close to my heart as the developer of the Joyful Fashionista website. And I want to thank you in advance for all of the input and help that you've given me on that project, including the encouragement. But for people facing disability who perhaps need adaptive clothing, how easy is it to be sustainable? When I'm working with people, I look at what they can do with what's already in their wardrobe. So I don't say go out and get a whole new wardrobe. Can some of the clothes that you've got be altered to make them like and have some adaptive features in them? If they do need to go out and get new clothes, that's when I look at things like wardrobe capsules. So a small collection of mix and match clothes. So you're minimizing the number of new clothes that you're having to buy. That's a great tip for for saving money. And I have one final question which is about a frugalista tip. Do you have a tip for saving money? 
My favorite thing is to grow my own fruit and vegetable, particularly with young kids when they're eating out of house and home. I love raspberries. They've been so easy to grow. They're so expensive in the stores. They're $4.50 for a 250 gram punnet. And you can get a bowl of about a kilogram off just a couple of bushes in the garden. Wow, I had no idea they were so easy to grow. I'm assuming they're easy to grow. They're easy to grow. They do need water, but they're really soft fruit. So they're hard to pick and keep looking good, which is why they're expensive. Thank you so much, Gina, for being my guest today. How can people find you? I'm available on my website, www.ginakingston.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and LinkedIn. Just look for Gina Kingston Stylist. Lovely. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And, of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. Wake up to your face each day, and my promise.